Well, again, if you've not caught this week, we're starting a brand new series called Rewriting Love, how marriage and singleness can tell the story of the gospel. And that's kind of our, our heart for these next couple of weeks. Um, if you're in a marriage, you may feel like you're killing it right now, or you may feel like I cannot wait for the series. I need some help. Uh, I know for Lindsay and I, as we've had a, a newborn enter our world, our marriage is being stretched in ways that has never been stretched before. Uh, we have never had so many conversations at 2.35 in the morning. Like it is just helping us go deeper. And so we're figuring that out, just like some of you are figuring that out. But I remember, um, this was back earlier in the summer. Earlier in the summer, I felt like I just need to change up my workout routine. Anyone ever felt that way? You're like, hey, what I'm doing, I'm kind of like, it's not working. I'm not moving forward. I don't know how to keep taking steps forward. I mean, you're looking at me like, how is that possible, John? You have the body of a God. And so I'm just telling you, even I struggle with it. I know you're like, how is that possible? But I, even I struggle with that. Uh, and so it was about June and I had stumbled across, I don't know if it was divine or what it was, but I stumbled across a friend of mine who was a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So this mixed martial art, some of you maybe watch UFC or MMA or at least familiar with it. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is not a sauce or a steak. It's actually a martial art. And uh, basically the point of jiu-jitsu is to tap somebody out. So that means you submit them by twisting and contorting their body in a way that they literally cannot take it anymore, or you choke them. So it sounds like a very pleasant exercise for, to me. And so I reached out to my friend and I said, hey, I, I want to get into this. Like, I want to figure out at least, I want to at least experience one time. Like, how does this work? And I, I had, I kind of went into this first time uh, rolling with him pretty confident because I had friends, I lived in New Zealand for a time. And one of the guys who was on staff with me at the church uh, was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach and a referee and was a blue belt. Now has kind of escalated up into the ranks farther and farther. And I said, I've kind of rolled with him a few times. I think I could figure it out. I can at least make it five minutes is what I said. I said, I think I'm pretty confident I can make it five minutes. And that's mainly if you go to any jiu-jitsu, ju wow, that's hard to say, jiu-jitsu gym, uh, it's about five to 10 minute rounds is what you're doing. And so I said, five minutes. I mean, who, what, what, what could happen really in five minutes? And so I show up at, at, at the place, I get on the mat with my friend and I say, okay, let's do it. What are you supposed to do? He's like, well, we, we just start. And I said, okay. So he starts this five minute timer. And then about three seconds later, my arm is twisted in a way I've never experienced before. And I didn't know if it'd ever go back to normal after that. And I said, okay, like, you win, you made it. So it was literally three or four seconds into this five minute round. I said, is that it? Like the five minutes is up. Um, and so he was like, well, we go the whole five minutes. Like I can tap you as many times as I want in five minutes. I said, great, this should be super fun. I can't wait. <laughs> so for the next five minutes, I was under duress physically. Um, and I've been choked multiple times in ways I never thought I could be choked with people's body parts. I didn't even know they had like, that's how I felt. I was like, how do you, how are you doing this right now? And so over the summer and into this fall, I've gotten slightly better at it. But what is true is that I am a huge amateur when it comes to that area. Like to me, I, I watch my friend do some things and just know some moves and techniques. I'm like, man, how do you even figure that out? And so I asked John Michael if he would come up here. I'm actually going to demonstrate some of these moves. <laughs> on, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Nothing like getting choked on stage to really humble you. 
uh, but, but to me, every time I go and every time I'm training with him and some other friends now, like I, I just am reminded how much of like a rookie and amateur I am. You probably know what this feels like first day on a new job, right? You, you go and you're like, man, the people around me know so much more. Well, when it comes to marriage, I've been married for nearly eight years to Lindsay. I love her. She's an incredible wife, but I still feel like I felt in some ways on that first day. Like on our wedding day, I, st- I felt like an amateur. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm getting into. And, and let me just give you a disclaimer. If you're newly married, like many years later, and some of you can attest to this, maybe 25, 30 years later, you still feel kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to figure it out day to day. Well, here's the issue that we all face. All of us face a similar thing. If you're married or, or even desiring this in your life, you're gonna face this. If you do not have a clear why for why you're married, your marriage will fall apart. If you do not have a clear vision, a clear kind of theological foundation, if you don't have a clear reason that you're married, it will end. It will, it will crumble, it'll fall apart. That's statistically true. I mean, you can look around and know even in our own community, uh, the national average is around 40% of marriages that start with happy, in love people end up in divorce, in pain, in separated families, in affairs. And you may say, yeah, yeah, but they're not Christians. Well, Christian marriages, about 30%, almost a third of people that get into the marriage who are following Jesus and say, I love you. I will never forsake you. I will never betray you. 30% of those people will end in divorce as well. 30% of those relationships will not exist at the end of their life. Here's what I know. Here's what I sense. And after talking to some of you, even over the summer, the tension I think we feel is right now in our, in our day, 2021, the stories our marriages and our singleness are telling need to be rewritten. They're not great. Some, some of the reasons and the why for why we've stayed married or first gotten married have slowly dissipated into a selfish attitude, a selfish atmosphere. And that was true in the book of Ephesians as well. One of the passages we're going to look at is, is written to a church in, in what the modern-day Turkish area called Ephesus. And Ephesus dealt with some incredible cultural pressure when it came to relationships and sexuality and their marriages. Like the stories being told in Ephesus were, were off. They, they were not, certainly not God's vision for marriage and definitely not one for flourishing in a marriage um, and so the apostle Paul goes to Ephesus. He, he starts this gospel work. A couple years later, he finds himself writing this letter we're about to read to these people and instructing them clearly uh, in a culture like Ephesus with all of the pressures of Roman influence, of, of Greek gods in there. I mean, you'd walk down maybe on the way to work and you see the Greek God, uh, the temples to sexuality and fertility and prostitution. And you would feel like, man, how is my marriage going to make it through this? Like I'm supposed to follow God with my marriage. I'm supposed to honor Christ in my marriage. And he's writing this passage. It won't be on the screen. So I'm going to invite you right now, if you've got a Bible or, or a cell phone or iPad, to, to open up to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. This is important, especially if you are uh, trying to grow in your marriage. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Here's what Paul writes. Here's the words he says to these people dealing with some of these cultural pressures around marriage. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. High standard, by the way. If your husband in the room, that, that's your benchmark. Am I loving my spouse? Am I loving my wife 
as Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Verse 26, and says, here's the reason. It was to make her holy, cleansing her, the church, by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So in the same way, so in the way that Christ gave himself up for his bride, the church, this is how husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. So what Paul's saying is because we are part of this incredible community, this new family in Jesus, this new body of people, that should set the tone for our human relationships. Not only do you say, well, I've got this new relationship with Jesus. I've got this kind of foundation in Christ, but it should affect, is what he's saying, more than just the vertical, it should translate out to those, especially in our own home. Verse 31, he quotes Genesis 2, the creation narrative. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound, what's the word here? Mystery. It's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. He's like, in case you're confused, I'm talking about this relationship, how Christ interacts with his people and then he goes on to talk about family. He talks about children and parenting and, and how to deal with people in your own household. But Genesis 2 is what I want. I want us to at least have that. We're not going to go there today, but I want you to have that in the back of your brain. Because what happens in Ephesians 5 is Paul's trying to say, God designed marriage. God designed marriage. And if that's your foundational premise, that God designed us for relationship, for covenant relationship with people different than us, God designed marriage. That should shape then how we believe marriage is supposed to be. That should shape what we think about marriage. That should shape for some of us how we keep being married. But here's the, here's the weirdness you're probably feeling. You're like, okay, I, I get it. We're talking about marriage today. Well, the reason we're talking about marriage today and the reason we're leaning into this over the next few weeks is because culturally, our worlds, our worlds that we're in and societies we're in and maybe workplaces you're in have like 15,000 different views of what marriage should be. And you remember, I mean, Supreme Courts have ruled on what marriage should be. And I want to give you kind of my definition really up front so you're not like wondering where, where, does, where does he land on this or where do, where do I think scripture points us to? I think speaking of Genesis 2 and how Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5 is, is this. Marriage is the unity and covenant between two sexually different persons in God. Let me say that one more time. This is a quote. It's taken from a quote, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Dr. Sprinkle is his real name, in case you're wondering. It just amazes me. I wish I had that. People mispronounce my name. I'd love it to be Sprinkle. But this is what he says. He's a biblical scholar, deep, deep Hebrew scholar. And he says that if you look at the kind of traditional uh, biblical view of what marriage should be, it's, it's this unity and it's a covenant. It's not one or just the other. It's this unity and covenant between two sexually different persons in God. And I, I just want to say real up front, as we begin the series, that despite how you end up thinking about marriage over these next couple of weeks, here's what I want to tell you. What you believe about marriage is the most important thing about your marriage. Let me say that one more time. What you believe about marriage 
is the most important thing about your marriage because what will happen is you and I inevitably, we live and behave out of our beliefs. You may be like, what? so what did you believe about your marriage when you got married, Mr. Pastor? <laughs> like I remember uh, nearly eight years ago getting married and of course I was in love with Lindsay. I wanted to spend my life with her. I wanted to start a family, I wanted to travel the world, all the things that, that we all hopefully get into marriage for. But what I deeply believed was, was kind of selfish. To me, it was like, I love her, but I also really want to be a good pastor and good leader. And she's going to help me get better, which at first sounds quite noble. It's like, wow, John, how, how mature of you to think that. But it's actually selfish. It, it was really based on my ability to self-improve, to kind of lean into project self, to make John better. And so I sat down with her yesterday. We we're having this conversation on the couch. I'm like, what did you believe about marriage? what did you believe besides the fact that you're madly in love with me and I look amazing? Like what else, what else did you believe about marriage? And she said something that was profound, something that shaped, I, I think maybe this conversation. She said, really, if you, besides being in love with you, what I really wanted was someone to help with the household chores. So yeah, I'm throwing her under the bus for that one. Okay. Like I'm just, I'm ratting her out right here. Now, now that is a compliment to how I wash dishes, no doubt. Like we have a dishwasher, I think we've used it three times because I just own that process. I'm faster and more efficient maybe than the dishwasher. But my, my point is that all of us get into marriage for the right reasons, but slowly, if you don't keep your why, you don't keep the, the bedrock of why you're married and why your marriage exists in this world, it'll slowly dissipate into a self-improvement project and you'll get frustrated with your spouse, if they don't help you self-improve, if they don't help you achieve your goals, if they don't make you look good, and we get all sorts of warped reasons why we actually stay married. If you believe your marriage is about raising the next volleyball star, the story your marriage will tell is about athletic achievement. It's about manifesting your goals through your children. If you believe your marriage is about being sexually fulfilled on a weekly basis, you're, you're telling the story of pleasure and self-fulfillment as God. If your marriage at the end of the day becomes about how, how well can we retire in Tampa or Orlando or Clearwater, whatever it is, how do, we, how do we just get to Florida and escape our work? You're telling the story of retirement as God. But none of those are the reasons Paul says that we exist in marriage. He says a reason, the best reason to, to be married and stay married is actually something that's radically counterintuitive. It's, it's because marriage is a mystery. And the mysteries, the whole point of the mystery, the whole point of discovering more about the mystery is to tell the story of the gospel. What do I mean by that? It, it's someone looking at your marriage and going through a difficult moment. Maybe it's a job transition or a personal crisis or a loss, lost loved one. And it's someone who doesn't follow Jesus looking into your marriage and saying, the gospel makes a little bit more sense now. I get how that's good news. It's walking through a season of grief or loss and grieving as a couple differently than if you didn't follow God, if you didn't have him as the, as the good reason and, and the great why behind your marriage. He talks about it as a mystery. It's this mystery. How do two totally, at the end of the day, probably incompatible people, how did they connect? How did they build relationship? How do they raise kids in a way that actually points to something much greater and much bigger than just raising kids or, or getting them to soccer practice on time? How, how do they do that? And Paul says that 
that relationship, just like how Christ loves us, which is a divine mystery. It's the same for our marriage. And again, there's a lot of reasons and why, why that doesn't happen. And I was actually trying to do some like cultural research and I stumbled across this Buzzfeed article. Friends, some friends and I were talking about this. A couple, they compiled kind of the best marriage tweets. Like if you're familiar with the social media platform, Twitter, just people that talked about marriage. I want to highlight a few of them and you may not see yourself in them, but just for, for my sake, just humor me here. So here's one of the first ones. My husband lost a bet and has to wash the dishes for a month. I just got a credit card alert. Someone just spent $200 at Costco. If that man walks in the door with $200 of paper goods, I'm making it two months. Like that, that to me is a perfect summary of somehow some our marriages go. Uh, let's go to the next one. After seven years of marriage, I can always guess, this is so me, what's bothering my wife. I'm never right, but I can always guess. Like... <laughs> That to me is just marriage 101. It's like, you're, I'm pretty much always wrong. I think that's all we have. But uh, to me, I just think about uh, this, how those relationships, how that kind of summarizes, you can have so many different reasons for marriage. And, and some of the ways that if, if I look at our marriages, I mean, Paul's hope for us, Ephesians 5's hope for us is that our marriage, this mysterious relationship, was designed and, and eventually at the end of the day would tell the story of the gospel to those around us, would proclaim God's goodness and his kindness. And, and to me, I look at that reason, that why for marriage and how counterintuitive and countercultural that is to, to the way our world often talks about marriage and sexuality and singleness. Let me tell you what I mean. I mean, I read through Ephesians, I read Paul's words, and I look at our world, I try to contrast those two. And our world's story of marriage is that marriage is expendable. If it doesn't serve you, you get to get out. If that person, you just don't feel like resolving that specific conflict or conversation, that you have an easy out for a couple hundred dollars, you can be done. Or, or once Project Kids is over and you, and you find yourself in an empty nest and you're like, what do we do now? I don't even know if I like you anymore. Like, I don't even know if I want to be with you anymore that you have the option just to leave, to move on, to do something different. Well, that person's not fulfilling my needs or they don't get me anymore. I've changed, which is true of all of us. No one married the person that they're married to today, hopefully. I mean, hopefully over eight years, Lindsay and I have grown and matured and, and been strengthened by God. So hopefully we're different. But if they've changed, they're not the same person that they were when I married them. And so it's expendable. But the Christian story is exactly the opposite. The Christian story says that marriage, no matter how hard it can get, is meant to be a sacrificial relationship. One that actually places needs above, like your needs above, or sorry, their needs above your own needs. Like your marriage, if you're a Christian in the room, your marriage was never designed to simply meet your needs. What a low goal. What a low bar. Like, because that's never going to happen. <laughs> There's going to be a moment where, whether it's sexually or companionship or in a parenting decision or financially, there's going to be a moment where I cannot meet Lindsay's need. Is that a reason for her to quit? Hopefully not. But, but in our world, that often is the narrative. It's they've stopped meeting my needs, therefore they're expendable. I'm going to move on. But the Christian story, the gospel story says no one is expendable. No relationship doesn't carry this mystery with it. And so we sacrifice, we love one another. How about our world's story of sexuality? 
which is kind of all over the map. I mean, 2021, what a weird time to be married and have to make decisions sexually. And, and I look at this and I think our world story often is my body, my choice. Like it's my body, I'm autonomous, I get to do whatever I want. But the Christian story is that yes, it is your body. John Gorvette has a body, but it's God's choice how I use the body and how I honor him and how I steward that. And if I've submitted to him as Lord, then he gets to make decisions about not only my money or where I go to church on Sunday, but he also is Lord over my body and cares about what I do with it and cares of who I attach it to and, and cares how I view my own body. It's, this, it's a narrative that is very counterintuitive. I look at our world story of singleness, for example. Our world story of singleness often comes across as if you are single, you are cursed. There's something wrong with you. You're broken, or, or you just haven't found the right one yet. That's, those are the conversations we often have. But in the Christian story, the gospel says, if you're single, this is an opportunity for you to show the world the gospel, to show the sufficiency of relationship with God that doesn't need human relationships. I'm not saying marriage is wrong or, or singleness is wrong or one is more right than the other. But remember, I mean, look at the author of the book we just read, Paul. Would any of us say that Paul was ineffective at ministry because he was not married? No. Would anyone look at the life of Jesus and say, man, if he was married, he could have been so much better, like so much more dynamic of a leader if he was just married? No. Both men, fully complete in, fully complete in God and fully single, they, they all demonstrate the, the, the story, whether it's in marriage or sexuality or singleness, the beauty and the sufficiency of the gospel. And that's the story we were created to tell in marriage. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, who incredible writings about marriage that have really challenged and helped me. This is what he says. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, time. We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Friends, this is the gospel. This is why marriage is this mystery, because how can someone so flawed, so messed up, still love and sacrifice and give themselves to another person who's equally as flawed and sinful? It's because of Jesus. It's because he gives us the, this incredible gift in the good news about our marriage. What you believe about your marriage is, friends, the most important thing about your marriage. And I've been in moments just like you have, where I'm like, man, I cannot figure my way out of this in our marriage. I don't know, like I've, we face situations even this last year where it's like, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to resolve it. And over and over again, it's almost like Jesus is just in the back of my head trying to say, the gospel, John, is your only hope for your marriage. The gospel, it, it's the good news. It's, it's the fact that I have literally laid down my life. I've shown you the way. I've given you the path to, to make your marriage about something so much greater. And when you don't have answers, when you don't know what the, the resolution is going to be, look to me. Because sin, friends, has made us so broken and jacked up. We are all literally incompatible with one another. Like, like, there's no one person, like, I hear people say all the time, well, I kind of married my soulmate, I've met the, I found the one. Did you know that one is probably going to change and, and disappoint you at some point? 
There's going to be a moment in which you find out they're a little bit more broken than maybe you first thought. And those of you who've been married a long time have given us wisdom in our marriage, knowing that over time, those things will come and those things will grow, but you have to be willing to submit it to Jesus when you do figure out that they're not as perfect as you thought they were, that they're not as whole maybe as you thought they were. That, that for some of us may be the most helpful thing. It may be realizing that because of what Paul says in Ephesians 5, because of the model of Jesus, there is hope for your marriage, but it's only in the gospel. I remember a, a moment really early, I mean, this is before Lindsay and I were married, that I said something in my head that I've said many times later on, and maybe you've said this, this is not how I thought it would be. I remember I was walking up the hill from the library one night. We were in college towards the end of our time. And, um, and I don't remember if it was a week before we got engaged or a week after, but e- either way, it was in the span of the time that Lindsay and I were about to get engaged. She texted me and says, hey, can you come up to the parking lot right now of, of her dorm? And so I come up to the parking lot of her dorm and I, I meet her kind of walking out of this parking lot and she's crying. And clearly, I kind of pick up something's wrong. Something's not right here. Uh, I knew a little little bit about women enough to know that. Like, it's like, okay, I need to, what is wrong? And so she kind of tells me we're we're hugging, and she says, my my parents are getting separated. And it's not looking good, and I don't know where to go from here. And I'm thinking, okay, in this moment, our marriage is not going how I thought it would go. Now we're thinking about how to have multiple parents in the ceremony. We're thinking about all these logistical things that some of you have had to walk through. This is not going to be like I thought. And so here's what I want to challenge you. If you're in that place, maybe you're not there, but you will be there soon, or you have just come on the other side of that. Here's my challenge to you, is in this series specifically, or even just today, to lay down your belief. I just want to encourage you, Lay down your belief about what marriage is. Because here's what happens. When we lay down our belief, we have space to take up what Jesus says about marriage. When we lay down, well, this is how I thought it was supposed to go. Or this is how they're supposed to act. Or this is how they're supposed to be. Or we said, well, we're parents, we're going to be this way. And they're not that way. Or when we finally hit that income level, we thought things would change and they're not changing. This is not going how I thought. Can I just encourage you, the invitation, I think, from the words of Paul and the church in Ephesus to us would be, lay down your belief. Take up the belief that your marriage is a mystery designed to tell the the story of the gospel to those around you and how you respond to crisis and how you act with your money and how you parent your children in difficult moments and how you pray for those who are in your influence and under your roof. And if you're single, I'm going to encourage you to do the exact same thing. Lay down your belief. Because some of what challenges us in singleness is what we believe about what marriage is supposed to be. And so you may need to lay down your belief in that way too. Now, maybe you're sitting here. Uh, Adam, you can come on up. We're going to worship here in a moment. You may be sitting here, and you are on the cusp. You're, you haven't told anybody, but you're contemplating divorce. And you come to church and everything's perfect, but, but deep down, you're having those conversations. Maybe you've been married for a long time, 
And right now you're sitting here and you feel more lonely than you've ever felt. Yeah, you're connected to that person, but you feel lonely and, and, and by yourself. Maybe you're sitting here and you're frustrated. You are still single. And you're starting to not say, man, what's wrong with everyone else? You've turned it inward. And now you're saying, what's wrong with me? What's broken about me? What, what's messed up in me? Maybe you're sitting here today and you come to church or you're part of a marriage where your spouse doesn't follow Jesus. And they haven't surrendered their life to him. And you're trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I make this work? How do I move forward in this moment? And I just want to encourage you, the invitation is the same, to lay down your belief. If you're wondering too, like how do you take a step forward? How do you move on from this? How do you really keep growing? Uh, we have specifically designed this coming Friday night to help you do that. Like we've we kind of put together this video stream called Marriage Night, and it's a chance for us to gather together, seven to nine o'clock, just to say, we wanna take steps in our marriage. We don't wanna be content with the way things are. You may be in a moment of crisis. You need to just get here and to laugh and to learn and to keep moving ahead with your spouse and making Jesus the center of your marriage. And so that's, a, that's an easy next step for you. If you want more information, you can talk to our guest team right on the way out. You can grab me after service, whatever you wanna do. But here's what I know. If we grow complacent and content with how our marriages are, we will never move into what God really wants for them. And that's, that's to proclaim the gospel story. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that in the midst of so many tensions, in the midst of so much confusion about what is a marriage supposed to be, what, who, who even gets to be married, and, and how do we stay married for the long haul, I thank you that the reminder is just simple from your Holy Spirit that, that we don't have to do it on our own. That marriage at the end of the day is not about how well we can be married. It's how well can we surrender and submit our marriage to you? How well can we trust you? How well can we lay down our belief about what marriage is supposed to be and to take up what you, says it, you say it's supposed to be? And help us in the moments of crisis. I know sitting in this room, there are people who are going through a very difficult season as a couple. And I pray that right now, your gospel, your good news would be their hope. You'd allow them to take that up for themselves. That their foundation, their, their cornerstone, their, their kind of bedrock for why they stay married, why they get married maybe, is to tell the story of your gospel. We pray that you'd help us to do that. Even over these next week, few weeks as we explore the how, how do we do that? I pray that you'd be with us in that journey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.